This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dow Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach. And today I am delighted to welcome back Marcus Buckingham to the show. Marcus, welcome back. Thanks, Caroline. How are you doing? I'm really well, and I'm very excited about your new book. We're going to talk about a lack of love in our work lives and what to do about it. So I want to I want to set the stage. You know, we're all navigating year three of a of a global pandemic journey, and certainly there's there's light at the end of the tunnel. But it is it has absolutely changed how we are engaging in life and in work. And you write so eloquently about how this is a time of exhaustion and depletion. And you talk about how we need to reinforce our need for love. So I, I open that door and ask you to, to set this up. What, what prompted you to write Love and Work? Well, as you say, we've got an epidemic right now of people who are stressed and uh, lacking resilience, burned out. But this actually predated the pandemic. I mean, before the pandemic, we had doctors and nurses experiencing levels of PTSD twice as high as veterans that are returning from war zones. We had engagement levels, people who said they were highly engaged at work in the mid, in the mid to low teens. So we had, even before the pandemic, we had millions upon millions of people who felt that their work was alienating them, was separating them from themselves. And we have students that are graduating into the world of work that are drugged up on Adderall to try to help them stay focused and then drugged down on Xanax to try to counteract the Adderall. We've got people across the board experiencing levels of anxiety that is just not psychologically or physically healthy. So the writing of this book was to say, well, what is going wrong? We've got something going wrong. We, all of us, all of us, when we felt most ourselves, when we felt our most contributive, there are, there are feelings associated with that, feelings of flow, feelings of authenticity, feelings of, of almost vanishing into the task itself. And so for all of us, we've all had those feelings, many of them at work, not always, not all the time, but we've had those feelings of being most ourselves, having great feelings of self-mastery. And so work can have these wonderful, uplifting feelings where you feel like you're on fire, but without the burnout. And in fact, when we are in love with another human, we do see that there is this wonderful kind of cocktail in our brains of oxytocin and vasopressin and serotonin. It's a, it's a wonderful feeling. Funnily enough, when we're doing work that we love, when we're doing activities that we love, we find exactly the same cocktail in our brains. And, and this cocktail, this love cocktail, if you will, it, it dysregulates our neocortex. It opens our brains up to more information, more creativity. And when we have that feeling, we are so completely in our zone. And it's a wonderful thing. So we all know that that's possible. We all know work can be that kind of uplifting experience for us. And yet for so many of us, work isn't. It's loveless. School is loveless. We've designed, unfortunately, loveless work and loveless schools. And yet, if companies want us to be creative, innovative, resilient, engaged, if they want us to be in the zone, it's possible for them to do that. It's just that we haven't done that. So I wrote the book to go, what a weirdly incongruous situation we're in, where some work lifts us up beautifully, and yet 
across the board, we don't seem to have designed work that way for ourselves or for those that we lead. And I think this is such an opportune time. Certainly we've heard of the great resignation. Some are reframing that to be the great aspiration and a great opportunity to redesign. So what I'm hearing you say, Marcus, is that we need to completely redesign the way we look at work and love as we we move uh, forward. So let's get tactical. How, how do we start? Well, the place to begin, actually, is to understand that every single human being has well, you're born with a with 100 billion synaptic connections in your brain, but the real complexity of you comes from the connections between the synapses. By the time you're late teens, you have 100 trillion synaptic connections in your brain. Each person does. That's more connections in your brain than there are stars in 5,000 Milky Ways. That is the full extent, Caroline, of your uniqueness, of everyone's uniqueness. And, and that means that you're unique, not just from gender or race or age. You're completely different from your brother, from your sister, from the people that you grew up in the same house with, unbelievably different in terms of those activities that you lean into, those activities that you love, those activities where time flies by, or the flip side, those things that drain you or bore you or you don't even pay attention to or that drag you down a little bit. Your, your way of loving or loathing the world is utterly, completely, beautifully, weirdly unique to you. And so the place to begin is to honor the fact that you've got that incredible pattern of uniqueness inside your brain. And what that does for all of us, no matter what age we are, it totally changes our relationship to our own life. Because most of us, when we wake up in the morning, we wake up knowing that we've got a whole bunch of to-dos that we didn't do yesterday. And so we wake up and our relationship to our life is to try to figure out which of the to-dos we can get through today. Our life is something to kind of keep back, keep at bay, to withstand. If we could flip our, our, our mind shift to go, no, no, no. Every single day, our life is offering us a buffet of activities, situations, moments, context, people, threads, if you like, so many different threads in the fabric of our workday or our day in general. And some of the threads are black, gray, brown, white. They lift us up a little, down a little, but some of them are red. Some activities in our day are red threads of ours. Nothing to do with our race, nothing to do with our gender, nothing to do with our age, just to do with the uniqueness of us. Some activities are ones that we lean into or ones that time flies by. These are red threads. And if we could wake up every day and begin by going, what are the red threads I can weave today? I don't need to find 100% of them. It's not like I've got to do what I love. It's not as though my entire day should be a, a red quilt. The data on this says, actually, it's about 20%. If you could find red threads, 20% of your day is filled with activities that for no good reason other than the weirdness of you, you, you are lifted up by them. Then your entire relationship to your life changes. And, and no one knows what your red threads are better than you. So let's start there. Let's not look to school yet. Let's not look even to work and managers and leaders yet. Just look to yourself. What are your red threads and how can you weave them today? You know, I, I love that you're really giving us permission and, and urging us to be more self-aware and more self-actualized. And you write about it's very important to listen to our instincts professionally and personally. Anything you want to add to that? Well, the first thing I suppose in terms of the book, the book's called Love and Work. And love doesn't really refer to love of another human. It refers to what are the particular activities, moments, situations, contexts that you love? 
Because when you study highly successful people, they don't say that they do they do what they love. They say that they find love in what they do, which is totally different, which really means you're finding red threads in what you do. You're taking your red threads seriously. You're, 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 you're figuring out each day what those activities that you love are and then weaving them into, I said work, so it's love and work, but work isn't just your job. We define work as anything of value you contribute to others. So work is contribution. You're As a mother, that's your work. That's contribution. If you're a learner, learning is contribution because that's a value for others. Um, work you do in your community, that's contribution. That's work. So work isn't just your job. What one is saying is, is that the most happy and successful people are deliberately looking for red threads in all domains of their life, in all aspects of their contribution. They're not looking for balance. Balance is a false god. Anyone striving for balance between work and life is doomed to unhappiness, not least because, yes, of course, there's only a tiny place where you can be balanced, but also because balance is stasis. If you ever got it all balanced, you'd be saying, everybody just stop because I've got my work balanced and my finances balanced and my parents balanced and my kids. It's all, you would just say, please, nobody move. But of course, healthy life is movement. Everything's moving. No matter how comfortable your bed is, tomorrow you've got to get out of it. So for all of us, the real challenges in all aspects of our life, in all aspects of what we contribute, can we find initially find and take seriously those aspects within it that we love every single day, because it's the frequency of it more than the intensity of it that builds us over time. It's not as though we have to have terrible days for 29 days of the month and one amazing day in the month, and that's okay. That's not okay. All the data would suggest that it's the everydayness of looking for love in all aspects of what you do that really builds us. So I, I love how we as individuals need to be alert and aware of our red threads. I believe that we should also, as leaders or colleagues, be aware of, of others and their red threads. Tell me why that matters, because you write about that so beautifully in the book. How can we be red thread scouts, as it were? Well, yes. I mean, obviously, to, to begin with, the more seriously you take your own red threads, the more curious you are about that which lifts you up. And of course, by the way, God delivers in the details, as with all uh, love. It, when you think about a person that you love, you don't love generally a sort of person. You love that specific individual and those specific things that they do that are the particular details of what you love. Same is true of the activities you love. You, you don't say, well, I love people. You don't even say, I love working with people. You need verbs and you need specificity around, well, what are you doing with the people? Are you selling to them? Are you serving them? Are you saving them? Are you analyzing them? And which kind of people? And when are you doing it? And why are you doing it? All of those little details matter so much if you're going to take your own loves seriously. Let's get rid of the broad generalizations of, oh, I like challenge. Okay, what kind of challenge? When? With whom? Why? Those kind of details are about taking yourself seriously, your loves seriously. Of course, back in school, no one's ever taught us this. I mean, it's an absolute tragedy that we graduate students who are completely clueless about that which they love because we tell them from the age of five that their loves aren't real. But that's a different subject for a different time. <laughs> but if you take your own love seriously that way, of course, what that means is that 
other people's loves, other people's red threads are as detailed and as precise and as unique to them as yours are to you. So for every leader who wants to build a great team, let's ditch the the silliness of saying there's no I in team. And remember that the point of a team from 50,000 years ago was to bring together these uniquely loved individuals to achieve something together that they couldn't do alone. The point of a team is to have a leader super duper curious about the uniqueness of each person so that the team can then come together through that combination effect of all those different loves. If you do that, then the word of the moment right now is teaming because it's what we're all trying to do in this highly remote world, high hybridized world we're living in. Everybody's trying to figure out what teaming really means. Well, teaming means taking each person's loves incredibly seriously and as being as curious about theirs as you are of your own. Marcus Buckingham, we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. You're absolutely right in this hybrid world where some people are venturing back into uh, actual office spaces. Teaming is more important than ever. I am going to press you because I know that a lot of people are shifting and saying, okay, I want to start again. I want to look for work that is something that I can love, something that will honor my red threads. So what, what kinds of questions should people be asking before navigating that next step on the career path? Well, the, the, the three most obvious clues to that, which you love, I mean, I guess the first one, so I guess it's three and a half because the half is... Uh, the first clue to your love is what you pay attention to. At the age of four or five, you start paying attention to things differently than people even that you're brought up closely with. So your patterns of attention, what you notice that other people don't, what you pick up on that other people don't, all of that is really interesting to start with. And once you've started looking at your patterns of attention, there are three clues, three really good clues to your loves. The first is what do you find yourself instinctively volunteering for? What do you find yourself instinctively with your hand going up? Now, of course, occasionally we get the American idleness of people, you know, putting their hand up to go try and be an amazing singer. And deep down, it turns out that they actually hate practicing singing. They hate scales. They hate learning music. And what they really put their hand up for is the, is the attention or the, or the fame. So you can get some misyearnings sometimes. But, but your instinctive volunteering is interesting. The second clue to what your loves are would be would be flow. It's when, when was the last time an hour flew by? When was the last time an hour flew by? When was the last time you found yourself vanishing inside a subject and you looked up and it felt like five minutes, but an hour had gone by? When was that? Because it's not all the time. It's, but there are some activities where you vanish into them and, and time seems to speed up. That's a really beautiful clue. By the way, if you're a parent and you have a kid, what a great question to ask them every Sunday. When was the last time a day flew by this week? What were you doing? Even if it's video games, when were they doing it in the video games? When, which part of it was when the time flew by? It's just a fascinating discipline to have in your life to, to um, analyze yourself that way. The third clue is when it just clicks. 
obviously when you learn a new skill, you learn it in terms of steps, but there are some new skills that when you've learned them, poof, you didn't need the steps. It's almost like you've done it before. It's almost like the performance was living there inside of you already, which if you think about it, kind of was. So those three clues are a great place to start thinking about what do I instinctively find myself volunteering for? When has time flown by for me? And then what of the skills that I've learned in my life, what just clicked? And when you when you get to that level, it's almost like people say start with the why, and that's a that's a good place to start. I mean, your your motivation about why you're doing something is a is a good place to start. But what keeps you thriving and growing isn't the why, and it isn't the who actually. It's not who you do it with. It's the what. What are you doing? What are the actual activities that you're doing? Because if you love nursing, but actually, or love taking care of people, but you actually hate the activities that you're filling your day with as a nurse, then then the why doesn't the why doesn't compensate for doing a whole bunch of activities that aren't red threads of yours. So those three clues are where I would suggest that you begin, and then you can scavenger hunt for love over the course of your career. I, I believe you also open the door for leaders to ask these questions of their direct reports, their employees, to help them be curious about their loves. Yeah. I mean, in the book, we've got a red thread questionnaire, which I would recommend every single leader take and apply to the people that are on their team. Questions that every single person can answer for themselves, but that we just don't. Questions like, when was the last time that you were singled out for praise? When was the last time you noticed something that nobody else did? When was the last time somebody had to drag you away from doing something? I mean, just really simple question, open-ended questions like that, that the individual person will know the answer to better than any team leader ever would. And so the responsibility of a team leader is to ask a few of those open-ended questions and then just listen. Um, It's the kind of thing that if we really took our children's uniqueness seriously, we would start getting them practiced in this at six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. We would start getting them practiced in, in thinking about what are the things where time flies by for me? What are the things that I seem to notice that no one else does? Ooh, how can I turn those things into contribution? Because gosh, the world of work, the world of work would love it if we were graduating people like that, who are actually pretty articulate at describing those places where they found red threads and how to turn them into contribution. But yeah, in the book, there's a, a, a list of 10 really good red thread questionnaire questions that leaders can use on their teams. So Marcus, what about those listening that say, okay, I'm in an existing role. It, it's got potential, but I haven't really elevated it to the point where I'm honoring my red threads. What do you do in that existing role so you can find love and maybe even more of it? Yeah. Well, 73% of Americans say that they have a chance, and I know your audience is broader than the US, but the data that comes to mind for me right now is the US. 73% of people say they have a chance to modify the job, their job, their current job to fit themselves better. Um, only about 18% of us do, but 73% of us can. So yes, there's about 17% or 27% of us who think we're in the wrong job, which if you feel like you're looking for red threads and there are none, zero in your job, then then you might be one of that 27% that might need to think about what to move to next. But if you're one of the 73%, um, finding love in work begins, frankly, with you um, just every single day waking up and thinking about what are the red threads I could weave today? Are there any? Are there any? It just starts with being intentional. 
each day be intentional about looking for those particular activities or moments or situations or contexts which are red threads for you and then figure out how you can weave them into a contribution today. Then your next step might be, can I find one day when I'm doing almost all that thing? Whatever that thing happens to be, can I craft it so that there's almost one whole day where I'm doing almost all that thing? Then could I perhaps learn one skill or set of skills that might take that red thread and turn it into something where everybody starts snapping their heads around going, what's that that she's doing? How did she learn how to do that? What's, how incredibly valuable is that to our team? And, and then perhaps beyond that, can we get to the point where at, at some point here, people turn around and go, you know what? We almost want you to do only that thing. In fact, we're going to craft a role for you on this team where you're getting to do more and more and more of that thing that you've seemed to have taken so seriously. So it starts small with you just being intentional tomorrow to look for a red thread. And then gradually, but very intentionally, it builds and builds and builds until one day you can wake up and see that you've managed to craft a role which isn't entirely red threads, but it's got way more red threads in it than the one that you began with. Job descriptions initially are just generic. They don't know you. They were written by some nice person that was trying to hire a set re required list of skills. So you pop into that role and then frankly, it is up to you and then hopefully a little bit of your team leader to craft and mold that role so that it plays to those, those parts of you that lift you up. Of course it can't, no one can do that for you because no one knows what your red threads are better than you do. You write about effective teams and how each member is primed to be a mirror or an amplifier of the loves of other team members. Tell me more about that. G give some examples, because I think this is so exciting to think about how we can design this in our work environment. Well, yeah, you look at the best teams and... Um, you look at best teams aren't places necessarily where everybody's all located in the same physical office or factory. Um, the, the, the sense of team doesn't live in the place. The sense of team lives in the person. And when you push and push and push on, well, what does that actually mean? What feelings exist on the best teams? You end up with three statements, three questions that over 25 years, if you were to say, what are the three feelings that live on the best teams? Number one, people feel like they have a chance to play to their strengths every day, so they, they feel known. Second, people say they know what's expected of them at work, so they know how to turn their, their loves into contribution. They know what their contribution on the team is supposed to be. And third, they feel like someone at the, on the team cares about them as a real human being. So if you sort of push on that, it's like people on the best teams feel known, focused, and cared for. And how do we do that? Well, Every single person on the team has got to realize that when they come in and they join that team, they don't leave it at zero. No one leaves their team at zero on any day. They either make it a little better or a little worse. And if you wanted to make your team a little better, what you would be doing is, is sharing and listening. And there's disciplines around how to do that. But the sharing part is, can you say to your colleagues, can you share with them, here are my red threads. And the language you would use, by the way, isn't, I'm the best at this. The language you're using, the sentence stems you're using are, I'm at my best when. Um, people often turn to me for. People have often said about me that. And, and you're basically describing those, those activities and situations that you lean into. And then, of course, if you're going to do that in terms of your red threads, you've got to be equally articulate about those threads that aren't red. You can't be one of those waiters where when somebody says, what's good on the menu? You go, everything. 
because then no one trusts you at all. You've got to be that kind of teammate who goes, listen, over here are my red threads. Lean into me here. Call upon me here. I'll totally volunteer. I'll be at my best here. But over on the left here, these are my, these are other kind of threads. I'm going to need help here. I find my brain works really slowly here. I'm really going to need you here. We don't often do that in the world of work because we're supposed to be perfect. We live in the myth of completeness, don't we? But if we're going to be great team members, we've got to be comfortable sharing our red threads, articulately and detailedly, and those threads of other colors where we will need help. And then, of course, for the other team members on your team, you need to be equally attentive to their red threads and their threads of other colors so that together you're not all trying to be well-rounded Instead, you're trying to be unique and the team's well-rounded. And the more we can share specifically, vividly, not in a braggadocio way, but in a detailed way, this is where you can turn to me. This is where you can rely on me. This is what you can call on me for. And over here, this isn't. This is where I need help. This is where I'm going to struggle. The more vivid we can be about that, the more likely we're going to get really effective collaboration amongst us. Marcus Buckingham, I always learn so much from you, and I'm deeply grateful that you spent time with me today. I want to tell our global audience about your book and how they can buy it. It's called Love and Work, How to Find What You Love, Love What You Do, and Do It for the Rest of Your Life. And it's available on Amazon and all major book retailers. But you were also kind enough to share the website loveandwork.org that has some additional incredible resources. Marcus, thank you. Caroline, it's my pleasure. And I wish you continued success and I hope our paths continue to cross. I'm sure they will, thank you. And if you like the show, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And even better, leave a review because this helps new listeners find us online. And let me know what career-minded issues you would like for me to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.